Hey everyone, this is Neil Evans, Associate Director of Digital Communications at Andover. And on this episode of Every Quarter, we hear from Lou Bernieri and Leon Modesti, uh, two lifelong friends that grew up in Brooklyn, New York, uh, playing football and reunited here at Andover uh, in the 80s. This was actually one of our first episodes that we ever recorded for the podcast, and we're bringing it back today because... Uh, the announcement of Leon's retirement. So a sad occasion, but hopefully one that will uh, bring back a lot of memories for players and students alike. Just one quick note about some of the sounds you may hear. Uh, Both Lou and Leon are very passionate uh, individuals, and at times they they do hit the table. So there's a little bit of uh, interference there, but it will not be too distracting from the the great stories that they're going to share. Lou, Leon, thanks for being here. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to know the story. You know, where did it all start? How'd you get here? You know, what what uh, holds you guys together as friendship, you know, all these years later? So, No one else likes us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, nothing uh, wrong with that. Um, uh, so, I got to poly prep in seventh grade. Sure, right? yeah, and, let's start uh, there. Lou came in in ninth grade. So some kids come to poly in fifth grade and stay straight through high school. Some go in seventh grade and stay straight through high school. But the big big group comes in in ninth grade for high school. So Lou was one of those guys that came in in ninth grade. So we met, you know, right away, started ninth grade. We both were freshmen in JV football. You'd probably say there was only like 69 kids yeah, in the class. Yeah, 69 kids in the class. So everybody small. knew everybody. Yeah, right, right. Every, everybody knew everybody. And, uh, you know, you're form room everyone the whole class is in there and so the first activity that many of our friends are still lifelong friends for Turk and was uh, uh, football you know because it's the first after school activity in the fall you know playing sports and so we became very close and uh, you know we went on uh, and Lou and I and Joe LaForce and a few of us also got the opportunity because uh, Coach and, you know, they, they saw us in their future that we got to be in the varsity locker room as freshmen, which was, <laughs> you know, a big deal. So, and it was like six of us. I forgot and, about this. Yeah. yeah. got to be in the varsity locker room. And so that six really became the nucleus of our football program, you know, from the time we were sophomores uh, till our senior year. And obviously Lou and I became very close. I mean, Lou was our best lineman. You know, uh, so, you know, he lined up, you know, right in front of me uh, so that, you know, hopefully I could get a few yards every now and then. Uh, and uh, we went on, along with Joe LaFosse, one of these guys as well, to become the tri-captains of our varsity football team our senior year. Uh, and Lou and I remained close. Lou went off to Harvard. I went to Springfield, both in Massachusetts. We followed each other's careers, um, saw each other at a few uh, – uh, alumni situations um, and back then of course there was no internet or you know email and all stuff like that but you you talk to your friends every now and then you you'd stay close to the link of people through hey how's this guy doing one of our buddies uh, Joe Murphy used to send out like a news like sort of a class of 73 poly class of 73 newsletter you know, letters um, so people kept in contact and then Lou was here, he came here right after college, and he was here on the foot, working the football program, and their football coach, uh, how can I say this graciously? 
was let go. Was let go. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Decided no, it was no longer he and Ando were no longer matched, and that was in nineteen the uh, fall of eighty five. And Lou uh, said, you know, he let me know um, that there was going to be an opening, and uh, they uh, they asked me to come up for an interview, and I didn't know anything from Ando. Like, I didn't know what it was. I mean, I read about it and kind of learned about it through research. I didn't know anything about boarding schools. Um, I know I, w- I was working at St. Anne's and coaching at football at Poly, but um, it was some a few St. Anne's kids would go off to boarding school, so that's how I learned kind of about it. But I came up for an interview in uh, November or December of '85, uh, and they offered me a position. I, s- I started in '86, and I have absolutely no regrets. It's just been it's been a hell of a ride, and I get to work with my best friend every fall and uh, and see him around all the time and you know I get to go work in t-shirts and shorts so I mean, it's a it's a dream <laughs> it's great um, so let's go back to Brooklyn in the early mm-hmm. 70s mm-hmm. you know what was it like growing up there going to school uh, well so you know it's like that movie do the right thing sure I really couldn't go into his neighborhood we were best friends, and he couldn't go into my neighborhood. So because I grew up in Benson, an area it's near Bensonhurst, okay. all you know, white, Italian American, Irish. So <coughs> it was different. Yeah. yeah, it was. Just, it, although what was interesting is our parent, our fathers became friends yeah. at the football game. Yeah. They, you know, like, and for me, what you know, what, what came out of it was like how, because I grew up in this not a racist like they never said the n-word or like talked about black people but there weren't black people around or latinos so leon was really the first person of color i ever met or got close to so um and then i was it was interesting how similar african-american families and you know african-american families were and so yeah, it's not just us. Your families have been close. Uh, Leon's sister, uh, Rhea, who's a teacher in New York City, uh, has been a director in Andover Breadloaf for, I don't know, 20 years, 15 years. I can't even remember how many years. So, um, yeah, our families have become close. You know, my folks love Leon. And he loved them. And, I, you know, Leon's family, you know, has always been my family, too. Yeah, and and those points of like you wouldn't go to each other's neighborhoods. You can be buddies. Like that's one of the things you know about sports, but football in particular. It really is the most diverse sport in America in the United States because, uh, and this is, I'm not the only one saying this. Jim Brown and uh, Bill Belichick both say this, and it's because you can come from a rich, affluent area. And be a great football player. You can be from dirt poor area. Be you can be black. You can be white. Be Asian American. I mean, it's all over the place. And most other sports are becoming more, you know, homogenized. Like there's this type of person plays, and this. With football, it's all over. So so, football united us. Um, and then of course school, and you know we all played other sports, but you know football was the the lock, and so. Our friendships, our love for each other, all of us, I mean, the whole group continues to this day. And, uh, but when we were kids, you, you didn't go 
you, most people didn't go outside their own neighborhood. Forget about going to someone else's. You, know, you hung out in the neighborhood, you know, and uh, the racial lines weren't crossed um, except at the schools and yeah. on the teams. And then it was all good because we were playing for our, our school. Um, and that's gotten better. You know, I mean, I would never go to, I would, I would have thought of going to Bensonhurst as, as a young man, you know. Um, that said, uh, my Italian-American friends were brothers to me, you know, and remain so, you know, and uh, I, I, and they, you know, but it was, it was just, I've never even thought of going over there, you know, but going to and from the subway in Bay Ridge, uh, which was originally a challenge to me, because, you know, Polly had a school bus that would take you to the subway, but the bus was for kids that didn't play sports because, you know, we got hung up late uh, with sports. But uh, occasionally someone would say something, not one of my teammates, um, but like a shopkeeper, say, make a, a remark. And the, the beautiful thing about the Polly family is that uh, somehow one of the f Italian fathers found out that uh, there's a <laughs> shopkeeper that was kind of bugging me. <laughs> And uh, suddenly it was taken care of, <laughs> which was kind of yeah. cool. Then the next week, the guy came out. He was bringing me potato chips and soda. <laughs> so like, uh, you can't make I'm, that up. I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure it was Mr. LaFosse, but I, I couldn't swear to it. <laughs> you know? That's great. Um, so lineman, running back. Maybe talk about that relationship. You know. Well, my job. His own, and still now is to block for this guy and make him look good. <laughs> no, that's like part of the whole deal. Like no lineman ever feels like you just you love your job. No you're, glory. And you're it's not about that's the thing. Like we love to win. That's the glory. Sure. But it's all about like I didn't resent that Marty Glickman interviewed him <laughs> no, he's after not, he's one of our games. About, he's not thinking about. It. <laughs> no, like that's the whole thing. It's you know the uh, yeah. Linemen block for backs and defensive. I'm a defensive coordinator. You know, it's all about the offense. You know, it's all about getting the offense on the field and getting the back into the end zone or the, or the cornerback protecting the quarterback. So, yeah, I mean, that's blocking. Yeah, I love doing that. That's what we do. <laughs> Lou, Lou is modest um, and humble. Uh, Lou got his uh, honorary doctorate this year from Middlebury this summer. And so me and my wife and my sister <laughs> were, were up there along with his family. And you hear the, 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 um, the president of Middlebury uh, gave all, you know, all of Lou's achievements. And I, I know these things, but when you hear him listed in a, as a list, it's, it's overwhelming. But this guy's so humble, he, he never talks. Like, he doesn't say anything. Like, I have to find out things. Like, oh, <laughs> he's man of the year in Lawrence. Oh, really? And so then we go to see that, but he doesn't even tell us, you know. So um, that's the kind of guy is, and that that is the lineman personality. It is, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not, not like I'm being humble. It's, it's just, just what we do. Personality, <laughs> you know. You couldn't be a lineman if you were. No, no, no. I <laughs> no. You know, backs we're waving the flags, dancing in the end zone. Supposed to be. <laughs> but when you celebrate, you, you go over to the lineman. You oh, yeah. The oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's oh, you all, take care of your lineman. It's a family. Yeah. Oh, you take care of your lineman. Find a watch. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you, you know, definitely. Yep, yep. You, you take care of your yeah, watch. Pro yep. ball, all that. Buy him a watch. Yeah. Right? 
<laughs> yeah, right. Take them to dinner. That's the main thing. Dang Feed them. <laughs> Feed those big guys. Yeah, they, they like that. And and it's nice. The working relationship out on the field is great because, you know, there are uh, offensive. So I call the offensive plays and calls the defensive plays. But we're totally in mesh. Like, we talk about it, you know, constantly. So I've seen uh, high school and prep school football coaches with coaches yelling, offensive coordinators yelling at defensive coordinators or head coaches yelling at coordinators on the sideline. That never happens at Andover. It just doesn't happen. We're all on the same page, and it's because, you know, it's because it's the people we have, but also because Lou and I set the tone of, hey, it's all about the kids. It's all about cooperation. It's all about supporting each other. Um, and the fact that, I mean, the fact that our school's motto is non-sibby. I mean, every coach in the world wishes that were their school motto <laughs> because it kicks it right out there. It's not about me. It's about we. And that kind of makes coaching here at Andover pretty special um, because the kids that Jim Ventry elects to admit here, we're looking for the selfless kid. We're not looking for the me, me, me kid. Um, so, so you know, we have a pretty chosen group to work with. Yeah, I think that's something I've always admired about the, the process and the athletic program here mm-hmm. is that uh, team first, like mm-hmm. you said, and that uh, it seems to be more and more as athletes specialize. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are all about the multi-sport athlete mm-hmm. or the person that is more well-rounded mm-hmm. than off doing their AAU club team yep. or only wants to throw passes every, right. every you know, right. I'm the star quarterback. And that's right. what I want to right. do. Right. So I think that's uh, a major plus mm-hmm. of our program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, and that's universal, our program. And the other th- the thing about football in particular is football, you can only play for your high school. There is no AAU football, right? So a kid plays for his high school, and that's it. And then he's free to play basketball, you know, volleyball, whatever else, run track. Um, because there is no outside entity, and I hope, I pray that it, that never changes, um, because you, you see what it's done to some of the other sports. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So, Lou, you go to Harvard, and you do some stuff there, play football, come here in 1977. What's Andover like? Oh, boy. <laughs> it was a really different place. It was still, co-education was only... How many years old? When did Four. this? 72. Four. Yeah. yeah. So there was really, uh, there was a lot of sexism still there. Uh, there were a lot of people who resented <clears throat> the change in the school from to co-education, from a very kind of centralized system to the cluster system. Um, <clears throat> and actually race issues, even when I first got here, were still... Like, people, you know, I was passing, so people, as a white guy, so people thought they could say things to me about some of the black, you could, you know, so there were conflicts about race uh, issues, you know, but that's evolved a lot. I mean, it was a far different school uh, in the the 70s, Um, and that's that's changed a lot, race, class, gender, like, like it's amazing to see... um, <clears throat> the kinds of speakers we have, the kinds of conversations we're having, you know, even in the football program, like, you know, we don't, the kids, homophobia used to be rampant <clears throat> in sports. It's not it. You just don't, 
it's not part of the kids' lives. It's not I mean, we of course set the tone, but school does too. So it was a big change, you know. And even the sports program, <clears throat> when I the first my first few years, it became about winning, and not about team and the school. So. I love postgraduates, but we used to have 16 and 17 postgraduates on the football team, which meant our kids wouldn't play, or one or two of them would play the four-year kids. And I don't want to separate them, because um, we, we think the PGs are seniors and they're integrated into the school. But I can, Leon was a big part of all of the years of changing the whole you know, ethos culture. to sports and the culture of the sports program. Um, uh, to one that's really, you know, uh, organic, where kids move up through the system, where, you know, it's not, yeah, if you look at his record as AD or football coach, there's a, there's a few wins there. <laughs> there's a lot of winning, but that has never been the primary thing. It's always been team. It's always been developing the kids, being educators, um, and character, which is another big thing that Leon's brought in. Uh, particularly the football program, you know, that's primary. We want good kids, kids who want to be here, <clears throat> kids who are academic and of high character. So it's 85, issues going on maybe with the other coach. What, what makes you want to get, get the, give the call to Leon or recommend him as the new coach? Well, he was coaching at Poly, yeah. and he was coaching my brother, my younger brother, who, and so I went back for a reunion, and I remember just asking you, like, this is before I knew anything was going to happen. Hey, would you ever be interested? And you said, you said, yeah, yeah. So then, ironically, it was like the very next year. Like, the football coach was released, called him up. And then in a few years, he was my boss. He was the AD. <laughs> like, okay, I bring the guy here. And then, like, suddenly he's my boss. <laughs> no, he came here and then within a few years became the athletic director. And um, so, yeah, that's sort of like the genesis of how that happened. So, Leon, when you get that call or that sort of, are you interested, what makes you want to leave Brooklyn? Well, I, I didn't want to leave Brooklyn. I mean, I, I thought I was going to be in Brooklyn for the rest of my life. Um, but I drove up and, you know, the place was so vibrant. A couple of my former students from St. Saint, Saint Anne's were here. Bruce Hamilton is one of them. And um, the doors. The, the door boys, I put kids I knew from the neighborhood, the YMCA and all the stuff back in Brooklyn. So, uh, and then, you know, it's funny, I kind of bounced into, and I, I, to this day, I think this was set up that I walk out of GW and there's Bruce Hamilton, a kid that had been in middle school at uh, St. Anne's. And I think, I think that was set up. No, it wasn't set up. But, you know, it's, and I got here and I met Paul Kalkstein, who was the AD at the time. And they, you know, they had a position in uh, physical education, and I just really loved it. And then, and then, as the years went on, I've actually gone on interviews for other places and colleges. And every time you come back from those interviews, you like, you pull up on campus and go, "Where am I going? Why would I leave this?" And then, it be, you know, so the tipping point is probably like eight years, like the eighth year. I realized I'm not going anywhere, and I don't want to go anywhere. I just want to make this, you know, the best situation I can for my colleagues and my kids. And now it's, you know, I, I, I can see the, 
the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. <laughs> but uh, I'm still enjoying it. I still love coming into work every day. I get here every morning at five thirty, and probably don't leave until well, I don't leave until after practice. And it's uh, it's a great place to work, and it's a great place to be a teacher coach. And I think I think that's one of the great things about this. In any other school, any other type of school, I would see our kids for two hours a day during season, right? Really see. I see our kids, I see them all over the place. I see them in, in, in their classrooms, I see them in the dorms, I see them downtown, and they see me, you know, uh, and they see my warts, you know, and I see their acne, and it's all, it's all good. I mean, it's <laughs> like, um, it's a very up-close and personal school. Um, it's a nurturing school, you know. Uh, the kids see you shopping, the kids see you in restaurants, and it's not like, oh, my God, there's Coach Modesti. If you're at a day school, and when I did college at Columbia, you really saw the kids just for football, and you only saw them as players. Here, my guys are people. You know, we, we, we have dinner. You know, they'll come by the house. You know, it's, 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 it's really what's supposed to happen everywhere, where coaches know their kids off the field, and where teachers know their kids outside of the classroom. And that happens at boarding schools. I don't know where else it, ha- where else it might happen. Um, so we're, in a lot of ways, we're blessed. But going with that means, like, if the kids are here, you're on. But I think working at a boarding school is a lifetime, lifestyle choice. you got to be able to understand that at any time, some kid's going to come knocking at your door <laughs> because they got something going on, and you want to be there. Yeah, that, that's one of the reasons. I came here because I had a girlfriend at Harvard. <laughs> and it was like I thought I'd last a couple of years. And... Uh, but really, Leon's nailed it. I mean, the ability, like I see the kids at 8 o'clock in the morning, you know, or in classes and then in sports and, you know, and then, you know, in the evening, whatever. It's like a whole, as Leon said, it's a lifestyle. And the ability to really get close to kids and to work with them in all these different areas and to see them grow, you know, because none of the kids we get are rockheads. They're not just jocks. They, they really... You know, they really care about school and about intellectual things and about, you know, uh, social things. So it's a great opportunity, um, you know, to be able to work with kids in all these different areas. And then in terms of the coaching, I mean, it's really high-level athletes, you know, really high-level. So you're playing, you're coaching at a really high level, and, and then you're teaching at a really high level. So it's really... It's a great challenge. It's great fun. I mean, I love it too. I again, um, you know, half, half my work, or a little less than half over the last thirty years, has been in Andover Breadloaf in public education, which I love. I love that too. And there's a lot of things that you know it's important to me. But I, there's nothing here at Phillips that I don't love. I'm everything I do: coaching, teaching, admissions work. You know, all that stuff, advising. That's really the kids are wonderful kids are great they're great to work with um yeah it's a great place to work so we've talked a little bit about the evolution of the program how have you each evolved as coaches you know when you first got here when you first step on the field is there an adjustment period when you you know first came or how have you sort of evolved with the changing climate of sports and the athletes today i i think for me personally i i know i I was probably too controlling early on. 
especially in football, but even in basketball. I was too, way too controlling. Like, it's the kid's game, you know? It's the kid's game. Um, it's not my chessboard, you know? So I've given the reins a lot more over to the players now, and I think our players appreciate it, but I also think if you do that with if you educate them and train them but allow them to make the decisions and kind of help with the game planning they'll really buy in they they own it right i tell my quarterback and i know lose linebacks the same way like if you see something go for it like i i'm on the sideline my days are over and i i, I had my applause this is all about them so i give them some freedom you know and give them some responsibility but that's the same thing in teaching, right? You, you, what we do with our, te- as, with our students. So they say, well, okay, our teachers don't give you the answer. They don't say this is right or this is wrong. It's the process. And what are you seeing? So really, it's just another type of classroom. It's another learning center. And so I've, I've learned that, you know, over time. And, but also, America's changed. You know, we are. Our kids can own more. They don't they don't have to be little robots anymore. I mean, not in our school anyway. That's not the kind of kids we get. We don't get kids who need direction all day long. In fact, they don't want it. Uh, the other thing that I've learned is that it's a game and it should be played. I used to, would, I would keep, say, a 10th grader on the team, even though he wasn't going to play because I thought it would make him better down the road. I don't believe that anymore. I believe that the only thing that makes kids better players is to play right so I would rather have a kid uh, be on the JV and learn from our great JV coaches Gene Hughes, John Rex, Alan Grimm uh, and so forth learn from those guys and play than uh, to just sit on my bench and say hey I'm a varsity guy that and I think more and and now as AD I'm, I'm telling all of our I'm asking all of our coaches to believe in that let the kids play. So if a ninth or 10th grader isn't going to be part of your real rotation, he, he or she is not going to absolutely play, and they're just sitting on the bench, that's not right. They need to be on the JV, and they'll, they'll prosper. Um, so I, I've lightened up. <laughs> well, I think, you know, one of the huge – I mean, our role models as, as football coaches were really barbarians, you know. Like when we were growing up, you had there was a certain kind of foot, like a Vince Lombardi type, and that's what we learned. And so that's really evolved. I mean, I think Leon talks so quietly sometimes on the field, the kids can't hear him. <laughs> we will get after the kids because it's important when you know when they're slacking as a team, but it's the mo- it's very democratically. You run, and the more we actually, the more we can give over as the season goes on, the better for us and for them. And so they become agents, as as Leon said. And and in the big game, they're not just looking at us; they can make decisions and can tell us. But I also think that you know, football's hard. It's a hard sport. You know, you got to practice, you got to run, you hit like, and we try to make it as fun as we can for the kids. That's a big part of it. It's a game. You know, yes, you want to win, and yes, but basically it's for the kids. It's a game. They should have fun, and they should be enjoying themselves, and they should be learning, like, how to be autonomous agents. And it's very similar to the way the classroom has evolved. And that's also my trajectory in the classroom in sports is the same. Like, I came in with certain models, 
say in the classroom of charismatic male teachers who, you know, even if they're asking questions, they're basically dominating and leading the class in a kind of Socratic way, you know, lead you where you want to go. And that, you know, for me, it's funny, like when Leon came is when Andover Breadloaf started to really take off for me, like in my 30 years. And the trajectory of what I learned in both, many thanks to Leon in sports, was very similar. Like democratize the classroom, don't be, uh, you know, don't pretend that you're like asking questions. <laughs> that's what a Socratic method, everybody doesn't realize that that's not really what you want because you're leading the kid to where you're going rather than making the kid an autonomous thinker. So anyway, it's an interesting parallel in my life in sports and in, um, and in the classroom. And I think a lot of what we're talking about is preparing students for life as well. Right. We want to win, we want to have a team, but all these life skills that come along with sports. Mm -hmm. I think that maybe get lost maybe gets lost now these these days is yeah. that the importance of looking out for the person next to you, you know, overcoming adversity, mm -hmm. sportsmanship. Yeah. Um, those are the values that I think uh, sounds like you're trying to instill within the players. Yeah, I, I mean it, it's it's just it's handled. I mean there are schools that we play that probably don't think like that, you know, although every interscholastic, uh, athletic, uh, arts, extracurricular or co-curricular activity should be to promote lifetime learning, right? That, that's, you know, and, and lifetime learning includes sportsmanship, includes social justice, includes all these other things that they now have names for, but long ago they didn't, but that's what they were building. They were building on those things. They were working on those things. Um, now we have little catch phrases for those wonderful things, but it's all character. It's all working together. It's all cooperation. It's all not me. It's us. And and it, and it goes it goes back. I mean, first interscholastic activity was probably in the eighteen hundreds, and back then that's what they, they were saying the same stuff. You know, and so there's got to be something good to it. And interscholastic athletics is probably the last time that kids really play for their classmates and their schoolmates and their coaches and their school. Because when you get to college, I, I, even at the D3 level, it's, it's a business, you know. And this really is it for, uh, for the kids as far as playing with our guys. Because they'll see that as soon as they get to college and they don't even talk to, if they're on defense, they don't even talk to offensive players. You barely know them, you know. So, and it's cutthroat. You know, you're going to a college basketball team, there's 14 guys, and if this guy doesn't make it, he's on a team. That's it, he's done, you know. So it's, it's, it's really different. So, Lou, we know your connection with Breadloaf. You found it over 30 years ago. I've heard some rumors that you read poetry in the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a big controversy that I, not a big controversy, this is a big uh, thing I have to think about. So when I first started, I used to do this thing called lineman poetry. And every the Friday after the uh, practice, I just get the linemen together and read something from like the elite, some war poetry, <laughs> basically. Something that had some relevance so I kind of stopped it, 
But now I got all these players. Like, there's so many kids over the last few years whose parents I coached, and that's all they talk about. Are you still doing lineman poetry? <laughs> so I got to bring it back. <laughs> I got to bring it back. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole idea, again, was, first of all, it's not serious. You know, like, it's fun. But also that sports, you know, for me, you know, for me, growing up uh, in a working class family, my parents weren't educated, sports was my art form. Like, I wasn't in doing theater or writing poetry or, you know, but it's through sports, self-expression. So, you know, part of self, you know, that's why the lineman poetry, it's funny, but it also, why do the kids remember it? Like, and remember even what I read. Um, so anyway, um, so that's probably going to make a comeback. You got to have it. Yeah. The kids are well, when the head coach says, just, you got to have it. You got to have it. Then I just got to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, because it's, it's, now it's folklore, so we got to perpetuate Lineman poetry, so that'll be, that'll be coming back. <laughs> cool, so uh, walk me through a game day. You know, how do you guys prepare? You know, there's obviously a week of preparation for each game. Are you uh, scheming? You know, you're the offensive, you're the defensive. You're sort of in sync mentally without talking to each other, but how does that game planning work? Well, well, so it plans one week, but you have to say, so from practice on Friday till when we arrive at the stadium on Saturday, we don't talk to you. No, no communication. Like I'll go home on purpose. On purpose. Yeah, 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 yeah. purpose. Like just like okay, it's done because because we put it all in. We can't start second guessing. You know, once we see each other again, you just need this decompression. So me, I'll go home, and Joanne, my my wife, and I will binge watch something that's so unrelated to football (laughs) that you you know like a BBC nursing series, like something way out there. Like you know, it's just. and just decompress um, because there's nothing more to do at that point, you know. So, but so I know be nervous, be nervous. <laughs> so, I just try and distance them, you know, we'll watch a movie, but I won't call them. And which is, you know, I talk to them every single day, like all day long. So, but there's like a, a point where, like, you say, okay, because anything we do at that point, we're second guessing, yeah, trust the process, just, yeah, because we've been doing so. Because we start game planning right after we watch the film of the game. So a game's over. Uh, Bob Price, our filmer, will shoot us the film via huddle. Uh, to, well, you get it, right? And then we'll, we'll watch it. And then as soon as that we've finished watching that, we're already on to the next game, even if it's 10 o'clock at night. Like, we're, we're on to the next game. Um, and, and then it just starts all over. So the only break of, away from it during the season is right after practice at 5 o'clock on Friday to whenever we meet at the stadium or the bus on Saturday. And uh, yeah. it just keeps going. Well, actually, you could, it, it could go like, so one of the, so I'm a track coach, right? So one of the big jokes, it's not a joke, though, is the last meet in Andor is Andor Exeter. The minute the last relay, the last guy on the track relay crosses the line, it's football season. <laughs> and so if you ask our families all over the house, they're going to find these little sheets of paper with X's and O's. And all, like, for the rest of the year, 
So, um, and then, you know, there's the recruiting part, too. So we're obsessed with football. I mean, it's great fun, too. But, um, yeah, and then when the season starts, it's 24-7, except for that window. That's right. it. Right. You know, and we'll do, you have to be doing some things on Sunday morning, but really, it's such a dangerous sport. It, and we have that's one of the things we've all recognized and you know that's one of the things we address very seriously like we don't do a lot of contact hard, no contact during the week uh, um, it's such a dangerous sport that you have to be as a coach serious because you have these kids health in your hands and that's that's the most important thing and we we have been blessed with you know have great medical facilities and medical personnel uh, and our trainers are unbelievable, uh, but they guide us. You know, we I don't do anything, any drill or anything else without talking to Kathy Brecky and Mike Kuda. Like if I'm if somebody's giving me some new thing to do, I'm gonna run it by Mike and Kathy and Amy <laughs> before I even think about doing it. Um, I'm gonna go on the web and research this drill and all this other stuff because my kid's health is way more important. Like a kid, like the th- nice thing about Andover is. I don't get to decide if a kid gets played once if he's going to play once he gets nicked, and none of our coaches do, and that is a great thing. Like we should not ever, you know, have a coach deciding whether a kid's going to play who's physically unable or physically impaired at all. Um, so it's easy, you know. Kathy Brecky's our football trainer. Kid gets dinged. Kathy takes him out. I don't even. That's it until she says the kid can go or not go. He's not available to me. And that actually is a very freeing thing for me because as a coach, you're conflicted, right? But now I don't, I don't have that conflict. Um, it, so that, that's, that's a good thing because it lose right. I mean, the safety of our kids, football can be dangerous, but it can also be, you know, one of the most familial uh, activities you know, because football, really, you really do feel like family. And I know a lot of sports say that, and probably it's true in every sport. I mean, I certainly felt that way about my basketball teams and lacrosse teams, but there's something about football. Well, it's... It's because it's, of the danger. It's the danger. Right? It's <laughs> a collision sport. Yeah, like, people yeah. talk about contact. It's not a contact sport. It's a collision sport. And there's, co- you know, there's tons of collisions. And so, you, you know, I, we feel like it's not like the kids... Play for don't play for the coat. You you know we feel they're playing for us. Like they're putting their bodies out there, uh, and you know so it's a whole kind of it's so intense that you can't help but be close. You can't if you're not a family, then you're not going to protect. You know the whole thing falls apart in football. So um, that's the thing that really attracts me: the intensity of the friendships and the the relationship between the coach and the teachers and among the kids is you can't unless you're in a sport that that's that, that is has these high risks and and also high thrills you know it's incredible when you win a game like because any victory in football is to be commended because you've gone out there the kids have gone out there put themselves out there um so that the intensity of like i coach track it's great i love it you know the throws it's intense but it's there's nothing like the team thing, and there's nothing like what kids have to do to play the sport. It's really tough. Uh, you know, another thing about another part that's really fun for us in terms of preparation is the recruiting. Yeah, meeting We're new kids, meeting new kids, talking to them, 
And I think one of the great things is that if a kid, we, if we like a kid and we don't think he can get in, well, you know, advise him to go to another school. It could even be a competitive, like we have one of our best guys at a competitive school, you know, the team we're going to play. Um, so even in that process, which I think is really cool, like it's about teaching, it's about helping the kid, even if the kid is not going to come to Andover or can't get in, even if we want him to. Um, I just love that. I mean, yeah, I don't want to face that kid. You know, the kid at Loomis, Blaze, he's tremendous, the best the best guy on our list. But he made the right choice, and, and he's a great kid. And, we'll, and that happens. And that happens, yeah. yeah. And it's it's not like, you know, we're comp- – that's another interesting thing that's changed. We do compete against these schools, but we also have friendships and relationships with their athletic department, their football program, and their admissions. So – that's a really, I think, noble thing to really help kids go to where they want to go and not just, you know, don't go there because I'm not going to tell you to go because we're going to play you. That's a really, that's a really cool. So, so the recruiting thing and meeting new kids and then, you know, you talk to them and then finally the admissions things and there they are. It's really exciting, you know, when they first come and, and say, yeah, I commit to here. And The football coaches in New England, football prep school football coaches in England, cooperate like no other coaches association I know. One of our big competitors uh, in our league is Worcester Academy. When I've been on the road um, where they have these coaches things where the coaches all come and they look at uh, prospective student athletes, I will, I, like last year, I, I shared a table with Worcester Academy. And they said, well, that's like you're in the same league. Why would you even share it? Because they're different kinds of kids. We're not going to get the worst of kids. I'm not. And so, Tony Johnson, who's their coach, he's got his, you know, maroon and white helmet. I got my blue and white helmet, and we got to sit up there and over. And you know, I'm talking to a kid, and he's obviously a Worcester type kid, and that's great. And there's Tony, and Tony's like, well, you know, your kid, he, you know, he's he's a better actor. He should go to Andover. It's, yeah, we want to beat each other, but we don't want to beat each other up. We just, we want to compete, but that's it. After that, and most of the football coaches are like that because let's let's face it, at one level, football is under attack, you know. So we know as coaches, okay, we have to be we have to take care of our of our programs. We have to take care of our programs, but we have to take care of our sport. And to do that, we have to be enlightened. We have to work together, um, and we have to cooperate with each other. Um, so that's why I think it's a lot less cutthroat between the coaches. You know, Chuck, Chuck uh, Reed down in Loomis, I, I can't think of a better guy. You know, and yeah, we want to beat each other. Next week, we'll go all after each other. But it's not me and Chuck. You know, it's, it's, the kids will go after each other, but you won't see fighting and yelling because me and Chuck aren't going to be like that. And Lou, you know, and so the cooperation of football coaches in this day and age is because there are people who try to take down a sport. But it has made us a better sport, and it has made us um, uh, a, a more community of coaches, um, as opposed to just I'm on my thing and you're on yours. So a lot of what we're talking about, the family, brotherhood, you know, comes back to how you guys formed your relationship. You know, it, it stands the test of time. What's one real uh, memory, the best memory you can think of, of you guys 
on the gridiron <laughs> as friends? You know, what's one thing that'll stand out? You know, now, ten That's years from now. Nobody's ever asked this thing. Yeah. So you mean at Andover? Andover, Poly, anywhere. Well, I think they they captured a picture at our final Poly game, and it's the six kids that were given the opportunity to be in the varsity locker room as freshmen, and we're all there, and it's just a point in time that. You know, it's the happiness in that picture radiates through my life every time I see those guys. And even when I just, like right now, I'm thinking about those guys, and it's like, that is something. That picture captures everything. It's a final game. We just won. Picture. Polly's in the background. And I don't know who took the picture. Somebody's mother or father. But everyone is just smiling and totally together. And you could tell that in that point in time, those boys, they didn't want to be anywhere else. Like that, talk about mindful, that was, they were in the moment and there was nothing else. And I feel like after certain games, Exeter in particular, you feel like this is, you're centered. Like this is where I want to be. I don't, there's nothing else going on in the world right now, um, but this, this event and you see it all the time when there's the kids after the game and they're just they're just you're for it so they're just laughing it's like there's nothing yeah. really to laugh but their faces are just beaming and you see that especially after extra victory it's really after extra yeah victory. after every extra victory yeah, really you, you that that radiate you could feel the co- all of us yeah. you know radiating this joy it's just giggle and you know, it reminds me, I would say, this is a little, I don't know if this is wind up on the interview, but uh, when I was in, uh, when I was at Harvard, like as a sophomore, I was in this religion class by this famous guy called Niebuhr, whose father was a famous theologian. And um, he, uh, he, uh, I, me and my friend were two football guys, and then the class was a bunch of egghead religion people, like philosophy people, because this was high level. But we were in the class, so it was after, um, what's his name? Who's the catcher? Fisk hit that home run. So the class starts in the morning, and the first thing, this really old, like, distinguished professor goes, did anybody watch the game last night? <laughs> so, like, two, there was only two of us. We raised our hand. He goes, when Fisk hit that home run and was dancing up the sideline, that's prayer. Like, he does not want to, that is pure, the body experiencing pure joy. There's nowhere in the world you want to be, just like Leon's saying, where your heart and you're so filled with happiness and it's about, you know, your teammates too and what's happened. And really, like, it doesn't get any better than this. Like, there, it, you can't imagine a better, you know, you have moments, a lot of moments like this in your life, you know, with, but... Those moments after victory with you, and you got to be with your people. You guys, you got to be with your guys, and which include Kathy too. You know, Yo, like Kathy's trainers. Part. It's not just or the and the managers. You don't want to be anywhere in the world, but right there with all those people, and you just want to be there. That's why they won't leave the field. That's right. That's how people just. just and we don't want to leave the field, and eventually we got to go because life doesn't get better than that, and it's really. I thought that was a brilliant thing this guy did. I mean, it's really like religious, in a in the deepest way, and not just kind of cheap sentimentality. 
Great, Lou, Leon, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you both. Every Quarter is produced by the Office of Communication at Phillips Academy in Andover. The show is made possible by a grant from the Abbott Academy Fund, continuing Abbott's tradition of boldness, innovation, and caring. <laughs> <laughs>